Hey, you guys, thank you so much for tuning into the Karen Kinney Show. So I wanted to share this podcast episode with you again. And what I mean by that is I recorded this episode, um, episode eight, with my beautiful and brilliant friend, Susan X. Jane, um, last year. And I released it in April of 2019. And it just seems wicked timely now and perhaps helpful with everything that is going on in the world to re-release it so that it might land upon fresh ears and, um, or it might be listened to again by some of you who have already listened. I think that there are some really um, powerful conversations um, happening in this particular um, episode, um, which is a discussion of race and a willingness to be uncomfortable. So I hope you all enjoy it. I hope you're staying safe out there. And just know that I love you all. Wherever you go, may you be a blessing. Hey, welcome to the Karen Kenny Show. This is the place where we take a no bullshit look at life's little lessons. Here, together, we find the spiritual glory in even the most wicked hard story. This is a journey from fear back to love and how we can find our greatest strength and happiness in some of the most unlikely places. I believe that if you're willing to change your mind, you can totally change your life. So, are you ready to rewrite your story and choose to live free? Let's do this. Hey, welcome to, I think it's episode eight, you guys, and eight's my favorite number. And I'm so excited because one of my favorite people's on my show right now, the episode eight of the Karen Kenny show. I'm so excited. And look, you guys know me. I'm not super fancy. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and read, like, she's got this amazing bio, but I'm not going to like read the whole thing, but it will be on the podcast page at the end. And I'm also going to have Susan, like, tell you a little bit about herself in her own words, because I don't like to speak for people. But I will say this, when I think of Susan, these are the words that like pop into my head, okay? Writer, speaker, diversity, race. Badass, smarty pants, leader. Like you have such an incredible energy about you. I remember the first time that we met and we'll talk about that and stuff too. But you just have like a a vibe about you, a spirit about you that I love. And so I always like, I don't like being put in a little box. Like, you know, I'm like, yes, I'm a writer, I'm a speaker, I'm this and that. But like, but who are we really, right? And that's some of like what we'll talk about today. Um, but you are, I'm going to read this. You're a writer, a diversity educator, a speaker, and a trainer. I knew you when we first met. You were a professor uh, at Wheelock College in Boston. Uh, and it says you were also a youth worker because I remember you used to work with the YWCA, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you now consult with organizations who are looking to make sense of our current cultural shift which I think is fascinating. So I can't wait to talk about that. And then one of the things you wrote one time that I thought was fascinating on one of your bios, one of your bylines in one of your um, magazine articles is you said, I think about race a lot. 
and you said it like da da da. So I can't wait to just dive into all of this stuff. So first of all, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad to be here. Oh my God. I'm so jazzed. And so will you just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself in your own words? Like how do you identify, like what are you doing on the planet right now? Like what's up for you? <laughs> What am I doing on the planet? I think that's a great place to start. Yeah. I think I was put on this planet to think about race and diversity. Uh, that's my area that I think about, that I talk about all the time. And I think that that's my jam. That's, that's what I like to talk about. I like to think about how we come to understand who we are and what that means to us in terms of what the life that we kind of choose to lead from there. So uh, I am a transracial adoptee and I'm biracial. So I like to say that I started thinking about race and doing this work around race like while I was way back in utero <laughs> a long time ago. Uh, and so I have spent my whole life really on the line of race in America between white communities and black communities. Yeah. And I've also spent a lot of time professionally thinking about what that means um, and helping people to navigate those lines so that we can hopefully get to a place where we have uh, more unity and more justice for people and less division. Amen. I love that. And I think so much when I talk about storytelling and stuff, one of the things in spirituality, one of the things I talk about is taking the personal personal experience and then somehow translating it uh, if you're a good enough storyteller and making it like a universal experience so when you say you know you talk about people how to navigate those lines <clears throat> it's fascinating to me because you you can speak about this so personally because you spent i mean just as the way you came into the world you were on those lines and crossing those lines and touching those lines and stuff like that so you um so basically you're you're biracial you said but you were mm -hmm. adopted by white parents correct right, right. So i identify as a black person yes um, but the and i was adopted at a time where adoption was closed so there isn't really any receipts on me um but i identify as a black person that's how i've kind of um experienced my life um and i was adopted by a all-white family yeah, so that's incredible. And it's interesting, too, because my mom was adopted. Mm. And so I, you know, I always say, and back then, that's when the church kind of used to handle the adoptions in yeah. some communities. Yeah. So there's no record. And I often say, like, I could have people out there that look just like me. Like, I could have, yeah. like, cousins and aunties and, like, I have no idea, right? Uh -huh. so the whole thing. Wait, now, are you, are you curious? Oh, yeah, I've tried to find them. Yeah. I'm but here's the thing. Now you can take a DNA test and someone can just pop up at your door and be like, hi, I'm your cousin. Like, would you do that? I have already done it. Oh so, my God. Did yeah. no, one come, no one came to your door? No. So people have come forward saying that. Um, so we're like, my system was mostly kind of spearheading it because I look exactly like my mom. And so um, I love your dog. I don't care if you box. Um, so I look exactly like my mom. And so my sister was like, you have to take the DNA test because you'll have more markers or hitters like on probably that side of the family type of a thing. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. found some cousins and some stuff and we're trying to piece together this crazy story, but I don't still don't really know the answer. So some part of me has like, I've made peace with it no matter what happens, like whether I find them or don't find them. But yeah, of course, I'm wicked curious. So I'm like, yeah. oh my God, I can't wait to find out. So that makes me ask, have you done the DNA test? No, man, no. I don't need people popping up that I don't know. Like, I don't know you. <laughs> 
I've, I've always felt like I have two older brothers who are adopted. They are both white. They're not transracial adoptees. Yeah. They're also adoptees. And so it was really normal in my family to be adopted. Yes. So in that way, I feel like I, I know a lot of adopted people feel that very keenly, you know, like this desire to know. And I... I have always kind of taken that just as that's my lens in the world. Yes. And I know this might sound strange, but for me, it feels very free, you know, to not know yeah. and just to be on this journey and to take it in whatever way it comes to me. Um, I find really exciting, you know, so I kind of live life. It's like, like it's my personal game show. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I really like that. And so I'm a little wary. I'm wary of DNA tests for a bunch of reasons. Sure. A lot um, of people are like, don't no. give them your information. Yeah. Don't give well, those people well, more information. They, they could clone you. I don't want to be cloned. What if I ran <laughs> into myself and I looked better? Dude, that is so funny, yeah. which leads me, I said we we're going to talk about this because you just said something that I loved and I want to touch on this and this is so left field like it just happened mm -hmm. but we were talking about the lighting in our spaces right and how you have such a warm glow and stuff and I was saying like yeah I gotta like I gotta make stuff in here look better and I said but I don't like to use filters like I like to keep it real and mm -hmm. you basically said what would I filter? <laughs> you're like, what could I find wrong here? And I was yeah. just like, oh my God. Like, I love when I meet women who, well, people, people, but women especially who mm. are just like in their skin. Like they know who they are. They love how, like they love how they are. I'm not saying we all couldn't use a little, obviously work in the personality department, yeah, but yeah. we embrace like this is us. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like, you know, it could be so easy being in the world. There are so many people who walk around, especially women, not being confident, not being sure of themselves, not knowing themselves. So where do you think that you're in a, like, confidence and sense of self? Um, because like you said, you were like a biracial kid adopted growing up in white communities. And so that must have been like, how did you start to figure out who you are to yourself first and foremost? I mean, I, I feel like, uh, it, not to say it isn't challenging, it was really challenging. I always felt yeah. like there was, you know, not really understanding there was something about me that made me different. And like, you can think about like, when you're three or five or seven, you don't really understand what it is that's making you different. Um, and I think that's why I always had this kind of curiosity around like what is this thing that people see in me you know and I always was this little brown kid with this big afro <laughs> so people saw me in ways that were different than how I saw myself can I interrupt you yeah, yeah. how did you know that they were seeing you differently were there some cues or markers or things that were said like what was your experience that you now knew that the people outside of you were experiencing you differently I, uh, I can remember being really young. I think I must have been maybe about five or six. And I had a little friend over playing and we were watching Bugs Bunny. And it's this episode called What's Up Doc? Where Bugs Bunny Goes to Africa. And in the yes. episode, there are all these like Africans. And at one point, he's like stuffing plates in his mouth to make his lips really oh, I remember so, that episode. So they won't yeah. know it's him. And my friend turned and looked at me and said, oh, that's what you are. And I remember thinking, hmm, I really don't, and, and like thinking, I don't have a plate in my mouth. Like, yeah. why would they think this about me? And so, you know, there was always this feeling of 
there being a lens or a window that people had with me that was different than I had with myself. Um, and I think my, my parents did a really great job of making me feel like I was who I was. Um, so I like to think of it as my like star child of the universe phase. It was the seventies. <laughs> I was like, woo, I'm just like whoever I am, you know? And so I had always had this odd disconnect between the lens people used for me and my own feelings about myself. You know, I love yeah. to read. So I read lots of stories where people were all different kinds of people. So I thought, well, people can be all different kinds of people. And I never always, I never really understood what the lens was that people were using for me. And so I think that's where my interest in race, specifically race and representation came in because I wanted to understand what's the filter people are using. And a lot of times that filter came from media. Like my little friend all those years ago, well, those are black people on TV and you're a black person, so you must be like that. And that in my mind as I got older was a whole set of ideas that weren't really about me as a human, but were about people's ideas about race, that I was gonna be loud or that I was gonna you know, be mature, or that I was gonna be aggressive, like all these things that people read onto me that I had to really think about, are these mine or are these other people's ideas that they're putting onto me? Oh, that's so good. And that's exactly what's gonna be my next question that I asked you. So I'm so happy that you went there automatically and shared it. Because I do, I, I talk about this all the time. Like I remember, so I went to Boston University mm -hmm. and my first communications class ever, because I was a communications major. Me too. Cause yeah, because communicating, I'm, I'm always fascinated by how people communicate with one another. Mm -hmm. And I remember that, um, one of the first day, uh, my first day of my first communications class, the professor saying, the message sent is almost never the message received. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and I was like, wait, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. And I was fascinated by this idea. And I, I just kind of see it like you have these two people talking, right? But we all have our own filters that exist. Mm -hmm. And they can exist because of race, they can exist because of sex, they can exist because of class, socioeconomics, um, whether you were abused, inappropriately touched, what happened mm -hmm. to you as a kid, we have all these layers. And mm -hmm. so somebody could literally say to you, and this has happened in relationships, my own personal relationships as I was, you know, growing up, like, somebody could say to you, I love you. But by the time those words got through your own filter, right. that's not what you actually heard. And then right. you put a bigger lens on it, which you said, which was like media. And I remember when, um, so the way that you and I met for our viewers, mm -hmm. uh, one of my beloved childhood friends, we went to college together and we were like, thick as thieves, um, is your uh, former husband, yep. uh, Dan. And uh, so we met through um i did, i had an idea Lusu. yeah dana Lusu, who i i just loved to death <laughs> and so we were um i one day i was at my house and i was listening to the news and like another black kid had been shot and i was just like grief stricken and i was like you know and i always say like um whether you call it God, spirit, spiritual team, source, I don't care what it is, the creative muse, I all of a sudden heard a voice in my head like, you've got to do something. Mm. And I'm thinking, I don't know what that is, but I'm going to do something. And then I thought, what, what have I done in the past? Like what, I was like, what do I know how to do? How do I take my personal experience 
and use whatever I have. And whether it's a yoga studio, a, a blog, a podcast, a platform, like what do I know how to do? And I'm like, I know how to do events. And mm -hmm. I'm like, okay. And then immediate was like, call Dan. And I was mm -hmm. like, Dan, like Dan will know what to do, right? Cause yeah. I knew that you and Dan uh, taught race and media at Wheelock. You're both yeah. wicked snotty pants professors. And yeah. I was like, okay. Um, and obviously both as people of color, you have way more knowledge and point of view. Uh, and I was like, okay, this is a powerful, um, partnership. So I called Dan and we, we all got together and we did two mm -hmm. events. We did one in New Hampshire, uh, and then we did one at Wheelock and you led a few of the exercises that we did. Mm -hmm. And I remember just standing back and marveling. And look, I don't consider myself a, a stupid person. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. I consider myself pretty, pretty aware. Um, and when you and I talked the last time, I remember saying, um, I feel like on a personal level, I have um, always spoken up. I have, like, you're not going to say racist shit in front of me. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. But I said, I feel like I could be doing more in, in a bigger way. Mm -hmm. and, and I said, so one of the things I wanted to do was to bring you on this show so we could talk a little bit more, especially about like, how do I say this? I think as white people, we have no idea of the role that media has played. Because I remember mm -hmm. when the movie Tarzan came out, like, mm -hmm. and Dan and I started talking about it. And being able to just sit back and hear his POV, his mm -hmm. point of view on so many different things. And we talked about this Michael Jordan commercial that was once shot and like all this stuff. And I'm like, like, it was just like, my mind was just going like, you are showing me, it is like, the, it's like the Wizard of Oz when they look behind mm -hmm. the curtain and the veil is being lifted. And I remember just mm -hmm. being blown away. Mm -hmm. So can we talk a little bit about, sorry, that was a big lead in, but can yeah. we talk a little bit about, um, race and media and why you're so passionate about it. And just some of the things that, um, that are like, I think important for people to understand that, that like, cause lifting the veil a little bit for people. Are you able yeah. to? Okay. I am. Something that I say that is a good way of starting out is that the stories that we tell are the life that we live. We, um, you know, as you guys know, you're thinking about spirituality. We come to this planet and we're making meaning all the time from the life that we're experiencing, from what's happening in our reality around us, how people are treating us, how we're thinking and feeling about that. All of that is going on. And media is like one of the voices in our head that helps us make sense of what things are like. Um, so if we think about media, it teaches us early on how to behave. So you read a story about princesses, girls are supposed to be pretty and nice, or now we have different kinds of princesses like, you know, Arya Stark who might needle you because now we need princesses to be strong and brave. But all of those are stories that help to teach us what it means to be a human being in this world. And so the media is an important way of socializing us and helping us to become the people that we are. It teaches us what we should want, what we should care about, mm. and it teaches us about different kinds of people that we might not come into contact with. Um, a lot of times people say, well, media messages don't affect me. I like to think for myself. And I, you know, I ask people, well, have you ever been to the pyramids? No. Well, what do they look like? Well, they're big and they're triangles and in the, in the desert. 
we are all the time accepting media messages to help inform us about the world that we're in. And that's not just happening for physical structures like the pyramids or for people we might not meet, like, you know, let's say a group of people in Australia, but it also happens for the people that are around us on a day-to-day -day basis. So we're always getting this information about what people are like how we should think about them and what we should feel about them. So if we think about the overrepresentation of people of color in news stories about crime, Ugh. it encourages people to believe that many people of color are committing crimes when that may not actually be the case. And there are actual studies that show us <laughs> I mean, can I show you guys what's happening right now? Yes. Here's my dog eating a bone the size of his head right outside the door. <laughs> so, oh my God, this dog. I, swear I love God. him. You know I love him, so I don't care. <laughs> he's so smart. He's such a nut, though. He's so um, smart. So he needed like a little bit of dinner so that he could go and chew his bone, which is now making so much noise. So, well, we, I can't hear it that much from my end. So. All right, that's good. Um, so these media messages are all around us all the time, teaching us what we should think about. Mm -hmm. um, and if we think about what's going on now, like the, the, uh, what you shared in the beginning around thinking about what can we do around police brutality, it was the constant videos every day in the news of these really brutal attacks that got people to realize something was happening. Mm -hmm. If we go back and think about the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement, yes. it really started with Trayvon Martin. Yes. And uh, it started with the acquittal of George Zimmerman in 2013. And even though um, uh, George Zimmerman was acquitted, it still was a case that woke people up to something had been going on for um, over a hundred years in this country. Um, the, the use of police brutality and police force to control black bodies. Um, after that, as the news started to pick up that story and started to televise the incidents, and more importantly, to show the videos that were being captured on cell phones, um, people really started to say, oh my God, we have to do something about that. And so again, another case where we can see how media messages shape what we think is important and what we focus our attention on. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, the media message has a really, um, well, how should I say this? It's powerful all the time, but it's not always powerful in the favor of certain groups of people, right? right. So it's always exposing us. I remember when I first moved to California. So I moved to LA in 1990. 1991, right after I had graduated mm -hmm. from, um, from BU, and about a year after I graduated from BU. And so I moved there just in time for the massive fucking earthquake, which freaked mm -hmm. me out. And it was immediately followed by um, Rodney King stuff, right? So mm -hmm. the race riots and all the insanity, and then followed by like the OJ trial. And like, so I, I was just like, I just remember seeing those videos of Rodney King and just like sobbing and screaming at the TV, like just being so horrified. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of people, like I remember when you came up, like I, I always kind of joke about how as a kid, like I have my Lawrence t-shirt on today. There's a kid who grew up in Lawrence, which was so multicultural, multi-bilingual race. Like it was just like, a, it's an immigrant city, okay? So right, right. I like grew up with like a hodgepodge of a bunch of different uh, accents and everything. 
And then I moved to Boston and it was like, okay. And then I moved to mm. LA and then I moved to New Hampshire. And I remember being like, what the fuck is yeah. happening right now? Like, where are my people at college? I mean, Lawrence is literally miles from New Hampshire and it's like a totally different world in terms of diversity. Yeah. Totally different <laughs> world. And so when I moved to New Hampshire, I remember being like, I swear to God, I've said this, why are there so... Like there's so many white people. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and I remember when you came to the event, and said, like you said, New Hampshire is like the second whitest yeah. like state in the country, and I was like, that explains so much. But it's really also um, represented. Like you can tell. Like when I talk to people, like no, no, no. What's the word? No offense to like my New Hampshire peeps, but like you can tell them. Like these people have not been exposed to other. Mm-hmm. A lot of other cultures, races, ways of thinking, ways of being. And you can really mm-hmm. tell like how lack of exposure, personal exposure affects yeah. it. Because if you're just drinking the Kool-Aid of the media, if you aren't finding things out for yourself, and I think, how do I say this? Even if you haven't oh had, look at, can, can you just one second? I'm yeah, going to close no the door. And we're back. Yeah. And we're back. And we're back. Yeah. So I just think that like, but also don't you think that even if like, like this isn't about wagging my fingers at people and trying to make people Mm -hmm. feel bad, but I will say this, even if you haven't had personal experience and maybe it's just because of like where you grew up or what your parents taught you or whatever the thing is, at some point you have to have a certain curiosity. I've always said this about yoga students, about writers, Uh, one of the greatest characteristics you can have, I think, and I'm going to take it even a step further as as a human being is to Mm -hmm. be curious, is -hmm. to be curious about beyond your own experience, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I'm just really clear that I've often jokingly said like, okay, as a course of miracle, a long time course of miracle student, I am usually having a different experience than most of the people in the room. Just Mm -hmm. because of the way my mind has been trained over many years to think Mm -hmm. about the world in a particular way. But you're also having your very own kind of experience. Just like somebody who might be, you know, uh, transgender is having a really different experience. But if we don't have a curiosity about other people's experiences, how are we ever going to get to know and understand and give a shit about each other? Right, right. I mean, I think even that how do we come to define our own experience if we don't really have a sense of what the breadth of humanity actually encompasses? You know, we kind of can hunker down in our own little space and say, oh, you know, this is, you know, this is where I'm at or this is what I really care about. But we don't really open ourselves up to the universe unless we think about the broader human experience that is around us. I mean, just think about your own palate. If you only had to eat one food for your whole life, like you would go crazy. We live in a uh, a multicultural country, and we're used to eating all sorts of different kinds of foods. Like if you think about picking a meal, you can scroll through a, a reservation app, and it's organized by culture. So culture is a really important part of mm. our lives, and I feel like you can't really understand what's going on around you, even your own world, unless you really think about that. Um, I think sometimes people might grow up in a place like New Hampshire where they are not exposed to lots of different kinds of people. Um, 
Yet race and other markers of our identity are some of the ways in which we organize power in our culture. Oh. So when people say to me, I don't see race, what I hear them say is, I don't see the way that power is organized in my world. And that puts you at a disadvantage. That means that you may not be aware of some of the things not only that are happening to other people, but also some of the things that are happening to you. And I think in my experience, when we think about what makes it hard for people to think about race, it's because it's not just about letting in information about what might be going on for others, but also letting information about who we are and what our experience of the world has been and should be. And so that that feels intimidating. And I mean, it is intimidating. That's a lot. If you think I've always succeeded on my own steam and I've never had any advantages, and then you learn about privilege, that might mess with how you think about yourself. And people can be very sensitive to that. Yeah, I think it can be really like, I can, I can only relate it to um, helping people to wake up around veganism and mm. like factory farming mm. and things like that, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. if you don't take a look at other people's or other beings experiences right. um you 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 made a really good point you said you may not know what's happening to them but you also don't know how it's affecting you but here's another thing you also don't know what you might be blindly be participating in like right. what the role is that you are playing if you don't even know a system exists Right. right. If you don't understand like systemic and I and I think what it is, if you don't understand that there is a, our whole world is based like when you were talking about mm -hmm. Bank of America, and like we can race like like slavery and like all of a sudden we can we can talk about that, too. But if yeah. you don't understand how this country was founded and if you don't understand how all these systems are in place and that they're fully right. active and that you benefit from them. And because you benefit from them, like you play a role and stuff like that. But I think people are terrified, terrified mm -hmm. to find out that somehow they're bad or that they're guilty or like, like I hear white people all the time saying things like, well, I never owned slaves. I, I my, my grandparents didn't whatever. Like I'm the, like, I don't want, and then you can just feel their defensiveness. Yeah. Like Duke's up, man. Like, don't tell me I'm part of the problem. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But if you're mm -hmm. not willing to take what I call like a good long look in the soul mirror and right. say, how have I, even if it's been ignorantly been participating, if mm -hmm. we're in the system, which we are, cause we're in the world, right, we are course. somehow playing a role yeah. and we've got to wake up to it. Otherwise For it's sure. like, you know what I mean? I think if we are encouraged to think about race in extremely personal ways, like racists are bad people, people that are good people are not racist. It's this very binary way of thinking. And yeah. the question isn't, are you a racist? The question is, in what ways do you benefit from the system of race? And if you live in America, you benefit from the system of race, whether you're white whether you're black, because Americans have a different experience of the world than people in other countries. Yes. And that experience in the world was shaped because we created this system of race that allowed us to import a cheap labor force to build this country. Without that happening, none of us would be here. Um, and so when people say, well, I never owned slaves. No, but the country that we are in was just a small handful of colonies uh, when the first slaves arrived uh, 400 years ago in 1619 at Jamestown. 
And nowadays, we are this huge economic country, and our capitalism was built on these systems that relied on slave labor. Yes. Um, even after the transatlantic slave trade was outlawed in 1815, America continued to use slavery through 1860. American states in the South had not yet built themselves up in a place where they could afford to let go of this free labor force that they mm. were using to build themselves up. Mm. And so because of that, northern states uh, allowed their slaves to be transported south to remain in slavery. So north, south, whether you're, uh, you know, black or white, as Americans, we all live in a country, and that is the legacy of our country. Each one of us has to find what's our part in it. So even though slavery ended a really long time ago, and Jim Crow ended, well, not right. that long yeah, ago, yeah, exactly. and civil rights, and then now the movement for Black Lives, we still are in this process where African Americans, Black Americans, do not have the same rights as other people. Dred Scott remains law, which questions the right of Black people to become full citizens. The Voting Rights Act has been gutted protecting yes. the ability of black Americans to vote. So things that are law for other white citizens of this country, that law is not as clear for African Americans and that's today. So if you're saying, well, I never owned slaves, but I do participate in an electorate that does not have equal availability for everybody. And I do participate in an economic system that has uh, issues of economic injustice at the heart of it. Those are systems that we all participate in today. And unless you're going to go live in the woods and eat only nuts and berries, which sounds really awesome, but then you're off the grid and you don't have a phone. Right. Um, you live in this system. And so our, our work for all of us is where is my position in that system and how do I make sure that I and other people are able to get free? Dude, that, <laughs> I just, I love listening to you. First of all, you're so smart and oh, I learn, you. I learn so much every time you open your mouth. And one of the things that I found so fascinating is, so as you know, my friend Marian Williamson is running yeah. for president. Yeah. And she is talking uh, big time. In fact, in fact, I think uh, a few other people, she, and first of all, she's been talking about reparations uh, for like yeah. 30 years. I mean, she yeah. wrote the book, The Healing of America, like a gazillion years ago. So she's been talking about this for a long time. Mm -hmm. And she was mm -hmm. on, she was on CNN last night and she said, and she's, she, I've heard her say it so many times, but she says, and I, I would love to know your thoughts on this. She said, I don't believe that the average American is actually racist. What I do believe is that they are grossly, or I'm trying to think of the words, the exact words that you use, so I'm paraphrasing, but they are um, really um, super duper, if I can put it in a word, uneducated about race and racism in this country. So mm -hmm, what do you mm -hmm. think, what do you think about that? Do you think that the average, and, and I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot, but I, I whenever she says it, I think, <laughs> I wonder what people, like, like, you know what I mean? I just think like, I don't know, like, I think there are a lot of racist people in America, but she's yeah. saying, I think on average, but we are grossly undereducated about the reality of mm. what's gone on here. Do you have any thoughts about that? I do. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you I'm gonna say you this. I don't know how this is gonna. I mean, I think racist has become such a dirty word. Like, oh my God, you're a racist. You're a bad person. Right. A racist is somebody who has accepted a system 
where hierarchies are created based on the um, social construction of race. So race doesn't exist in nature. You know, a squirrel doesn't look at me and go, oh, look, it's a black person. <laughs> um, so there, race is not a naturally occurring hierarchy, despite exactly. a lot of what was said in the 20th century around phrenology, measuring people's heads or, you know, looking at skulls and things like that. There is no biological difference between races. We learned that when we mapped the human genome at the end of the last century. There is no biological difference between races, but there are major social inequities between races, and those are socially constructed hierarchies. So when we think about race, race is a social hierarchy based on the social construction, believing that people are these different kinds of races, right? So that if that's what race is, and racism is a system of power that is predicated on that social construction of race. And a racist is somebody who reproduces that system of power. So now, if you are a person who reproduces the system of power based on this hierarchy of race, therefore you would be a racist. All right. So maybe we could use this as like a thumbnail kind of definition yes. of racism. So who reproduces hierarchies of power? Well, all of us every day are in this matrix like we just talked about. Yes. Some of us have a little bit of more power than others. Um, some of us have differing intersections. Um, the work of Kimberly Crenshaw that your racial identity and your gender identity might intersect to create overlapping mm. oppressions. So we every day are making decisions about whether or not to reproduce the existing hierarchy or to challenge it and to really see people as full human beings. When we walk down the aisle on the train and decide, oh, I don't want to sit next to that person because they look like they may be of a different race. Or when we see a news story on the news about a person that got shot and been like, I'm glad that happens in that neighborhood because that's not my neighborhood. Wow. In all of those yeah. tiny ways, we are reproducing that hierarchy every day. And so in that way, and this is very controversial, who's a racist? No, no, I love, I love, like, I, no, I'm in it. I'm in it. Like, do it. But here's the thing, if all of us in different ways are, are likely to reproduce that system on a regular basis, then all of us have the power to take the power that we have in our own life to address that every day, to make sure that if we have the power to hire, that we're make sure that we are using diversity and inclusion ideas in our hiring. If we have uh, some power in the, in the parents' council, to make sure that we have a parents' council that respects all voices and takes into account who everybody is. And to really listen to people of color as they talk about what those experiences are, we all have the power to do that. And I think one of the biggest powers that white people have in this culture is uh, this power around voice and silence. Oh. Racism is very silencing. We have people who for hundreds of years have been talking about oppression and still our narrative is, well, does racism exist? Like it does. You have the yeah. power today to say this hey. exists and this is my job to do something about it. Hey, no shit, Sherlock. Uh, it does. Like this is just in case you weren't aware. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I think that um, like so much of what you're saying, I'm like, I wish I, I'm like, I can't wait to give this to my people to edit. I'm like, I can't wait to hear what sound bite that they're no, going to I don't know what they're going to take out of that. I'm like, there's like so, races. No, 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 no. I, I, but I do think that like people have to wake the fuck up. Like it's one of these things where we're so terrified of being like, 
we're more concerned with being called a name than actually taking a look if we uh, if that's true about us. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. Like you've got I think people think about I heard someone recently say that being called the racist is the same as the use of the N-word. And I just want to say first that is absolutely incorrect. <laughs> that the n-word is a weaponized piece of vocabulary that was used actively as a tool of oppression saying somebody's racist is a favor let me help you to see that you may not be aware of the way that you are reproducing unequal power dynamics in your world let me help you to see that you can unblock yourself uh, and be more connected to your humanity by being aware of the ways in which you are using your personal power to reproduce systems of inequality. When I say to people, like, if, when you're called a racist, the thing that you might think about doing is saying, thank you, I'm going to look into that. Let me try to do better. Well, how about, right, yeah. how about instead of seeing it as an accusation, you see it as an invitation, Yeah, right? Like, if you had spinach in your teeth, you would want somebody to tell, to tell you, you, hey, you're yeah, out you there looking kind of crazy. You, you know? got a little something. Yeah. You if, got a little something. if your behavior is not integ in, in integrity with your spiritual ideas, your friends on your spiritual journey are going to say, hey, you're out of integrity. Let's, let's get you lined back up. If your ideas around power and race are not in integrity with who you are as a human being, you should want someone to tell you that. You should welcome that information. And then you have to say, well, what's my pathway to getting better at this? So I, that I make sure I'm doing what I really want to do. I 100% agree. And I think that looking at the ways where we actually have personal power, like I love when you said that, talking about voice and silence. And like, when are you going to speak up? Like when, like, and I, I think I shared with you that, that story, um, when I lived in California, but the guy who put the gun to my head, <laughs> yeah. that little one, that little story. Yeah, I remember um, that story. Yeah, because I was just like, yeah, you're not going to say that in front of me. Mm -hmm. And I've always just kind of felt like, I don't know if I've seen myself as like, I, like, again, I go back to, cause I always try to just think about like, okay, so what's like my role in things because I don't get off the hook either. Mm -hmm. It's like, just because I'm, I'm willing to have a conversation, but that, I guess that's mm -hmm. one of the things I'll say about myself is that I'm really willing to have uncomfortable conversations yeah. Yeah. because I don't want to go to my grave. Like part of my spiritual work here is to really lift the veil. And I'm always looking for the ways, and you and I talked about this, and I thought it was so fascinating. I'm always looking for the ways that we are all the same, right? Mm -hmm. And I say it, whether you say it's children of mm -hmm. God or extensions of the divine, like that's what really interests me. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. we can't just look at that. Like when we were talking about this last week, mm -hmm. <laughs> because we also have to talk about like, yes, that's a beautiful <clears throat> concept. And like, yes. And, mm -hmm. and people are still having a different experience than me on this planet. And what mm -hmm. can I do? Like, what's my personal um, responsibility or how am I going to make an active difference? And I always say, um, you know, it all starts with us first. Like we have to take a fearless look. It's one of the things I love. Like I'm not, I'm not in a 12 step program, but mm -hmm. there are, um, I know a lot of people who are, and I went to Al-Anon um, because I was trying to understand more. Um, Cause that's a system too, that you participate in when you have addicts in your life. Right? right. And it's like, okay, so what's my role here? How am I helpful? How am I enabling? Like, what's the whole deal? Taking a look at it. 
And at some point in a 12-step program, they say you have to take a fearless moral inventory. Mm-hmm. And I've mm-hmm. always loved that. Like looking at things like, and it's everything from like, where do you spend your money? What jokes do you laugh right. at? How do you speak up? Where do you vote? How do you vote? What do you say? Do you write the letters? Like, how are you showing up? And I think for some reason, people are so afraid to find out some uncomfy truths. Yeah. Well, I mean, they are uncomfortable truths, you know. I think as we begin to think about what's happened in the last couple of years, as as people become more and more, you know, quote unquote, woke, um, (laughs) it is actually uncomfortable because the truth underneath it is not a great truth. You know, I mean, this country is built on genocide and oppression. That is not a great truth. Um, I mean, we're still here. Uh, We still have the opportunity to, you know, I think, chase our better angels and try to be Mm. the thing that we said we were going to be just like each of us. You know, we show up on this planet and we spend, you know, the first couple of years like pooping and screaming, but then we can grow. We can become better, you know, (laughs) and and our country is a little bit the same. You know, it is not it is not a comfortable truth. When we look at our world, we have major inequity in our world. There is something deeply disturbing about that. Yes. But to look at that is to look at the thing that is within humanity that we all are here to kind of think about. Um, Whether you think about, you know, in the Jewish tradition, Tika Olam or Dhamma, like all of these spiritual traditions ask us to think about what is our role in creating harmony in the world and repairing the world. You can't do that if you don't know what's happening in the world. Um, and I think for a lot of us here in America, when we look at race, for some people, they don't want to believe that their comfort has contributed to somebody else's oppression. And yet that is the truth of where we are. And that is the truth of where we will continue to be until we heal this. Um, and that is an uncomfortable truth. Uh, I had a student one time that said that, you know, all of this knowledge is really bumming me out. You know? Right. <laughs> You know, and I think in a lot of ways, that's what prevents people to look deeply into this and to see what lies underneath our systems of power. It's, it's not great, you know, and if we look at the last couple of years in our country, it feels very chaotic. It feels yes. uh, very uncomfortable because we're seeing these inequities. They're not going to go away, though. Um, and, and as I said to someone last week, you know, we have to get it right around being clearer about justice in our country. Mm-hmm. We have other larger challenges coming down the pike, um, that our country is part of a world that is increasingly connected, um, not only globally in terms of our economy and our culture, but also in terms of climate change. We literally have to fix our house because the storm is coming. And if we don't do the things that we need to do to try to create equity, um, those uh, inequities are likely to get worse as uh, as climate change comes down the pike and we see mass migration around the globe and other challenges of resource. And so I can see your face. That's like, ooh, that's really scary. It's like, that's what's on the other side. If we don't get these inequities in line, they will be um, worsened by what we see coming down the pike. That was really dark. <laughs> yeah, was, but I, I think where we were going, but that was really dark. No, but I think that's what it is, though. I think that I've often said before, and again, I, I often relate it to a movement that I'm a part of, which is you know um, animal advocacy and all this other stuff. And I, and I've, I've said to people, look, if I let myself just focus on. Um, 
the suffering of animals across the world. If, if you can become so overwhelmed, like that student who said, all this, ed all this knowledge is bumming me out, right? Mm -hmm. So if you just focus on like the, the, the heaviness and the bad and the negativity and da, 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 da you can become like literally paralyzed mm -hmm. by grief and overwhelm. And like you said, the chaos of it. And I'm always like, you know, so we, but we have to start somewhere. You can't deny its existence. You don't put on the blind is because that doesn't mm -hmm. help. In it. That doesn't help anybody. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you've got to, you have to grieve the world and then get to work. Exactly. It's like yeah. we, you know, uh, Clarissa Pinkola Estes has a beautiful, a beautiful poem. It's actually a, a thing that says we were made for these times. Yeah. And I, really, oh, I believe that you're here yeah. on this planet because you're supposed to be here right now. I mean, this is the, this is the, 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 the time that we all need to be in the fight. If we look at millennials, these were people that were made for this battle. I believe exactly. that, that so powerfully, that the spirit of this generation is so powerful. And those of us that are, are preceded that generation, I mean, we're still here too. So we all have to get in the fight. We all have and our so, assignment. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. And so when people are like, oh, it's too hard to look at it, then you are perpetuating it. If you refuse to look at it because you want to be comfortable and sip your lattes and stuff, then, <laughs> then you're, you're a part of it. And I think that the animal rights is, um, we all have to kind of navigate that. Like you, you hate to watch the videos, but you love to eat the hamburger. And so that is the complexity of modern times. You have to figure out a way that you can kind of bring yourself into harmony and alignment. And I think that that can be really difficult. It can be really difficult. And I think though, it's like, but if you can learn how to do it there and figure out what your role is, you can do it in anything. We can all learn. We can all be taught. And I said, well, we move from, we, we have to move from the paralyzation and the fear and the guilt and the shame and all that bullshit. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is you just start somewhere, mm -hmm. pick up a book, read a book about somebody yeah. else's experience, educate yeah. yourself, like make yeah. a conscious choice to be uncomfortable for a little right. while. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And in A Course in Miracles, we talk about it like, um, I'm paraphrasing, but it's like, we, 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 we like, um, we spend too much time looking at the crucifixion, but we don't look at the resurrection. And that's what mm -hmm. interests me. Now, I'm not saying don't look at the path because that's how we're going to learn. I'm saying we got to mm -hmm. look there. And then like you said, we got to go to, the, we got to get to work. Yeah, and like yeah. you said, if you're still on the planet, like you have a role to play. Right. You can have an influence. You right. could make choices. And especially if you're a parent. Mm -hmm. You know, especially if you are raising little ones up underneath you, like that's really mm -hmm. important that you start mm -hmm. to um, expose them to what's really going on. Right. Yeah. And you just have to start with yourself. You know, um, if you don't know anything about race or you feel uncomfortable talking to someone about it just Google it. You can do it from the privacy of your home. You can open mm -hmm. a private tab. No one will know you even did it and start to read about stuff. I, I am always struck by this in conversations about race. There seems to be such a deep desire for comfort, which is odd to me because when we look at race, there's not a lot of comfort on the side of the oppressed. Exactly. That's my whole point. And there's like... not real concern for how comfortable oppressed people are as people walk on top of their back to live their life. And so I feel like 
I don't know why we feel like we always have to be comfortable. We live in a place where, I mean, think about some of the things that we do uh, for pleasure in this country, whether it's yoga or jumping out of a plane or hiking a mountain. They all encourage us to uh, experience sure. some discomfort to get to the top. Why do you all have to be comfortable all the time? You know, I mean, we all live lives where we are uncomfortable on a daily basis. Yes. And yet when race comes up, all of a sudden, nobody can be uncomfortable. And it's like, you're going to be uncomfortable because something's happening and you need to be made aware of it. You know, yes. that's what yes. it is. Uh, well, people in general, um, you know, it's interesting. We don't have, we're willing to put ourselves in certain situations that are uncomfy, like feel the burn at the gym, or I'm willing to, to like, you know, get wax, get my bikini area wax because there's a payout, right? I'm willing to do certain things that are uncomfortable. But those are like choices that they're participating in. I think for a lot of white people, they feel um, they don't want to be made to feel shameful and guilty. There's this whole thing, this fear, I think, around being being guilty. And it's like, what about like, it's exactly what you said. Like, I'm always thinking when people are like, oh, I don't want to know about this or I don't want to. I'm like, how do you think the people who are in the situation or the animals, are, how do you think those people feel? Like, how do you think those beings feel? Like mm -hmm. we have to like, as is um, Tom Bilyeu said, you got to toughen up a little bit, buttercup, fucking toughen right. up, buttercup. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 let's, let's like take a look in the mirror. Let's like take a look at these things because it's the only way it's going to change. And I just right. feel like, man, I don't want to go in the grave feeling like I didn't do my part. Right. 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 And, and yeah. And I, I feel like when people are feeling like guilty and shameful, um, it might feel uncomfortable. It's like, stop doing it. Stop doing it. If you don't want to be called a racist, stop acting like a racist, you know? And the only way you're gonna get there is by coming to understand the system of race and power and privilege and your place within it and doing the best you can to minimize the harm that you do to other people. I mean, none of us really are here under our own steam. If we think about the lives that we like for any of your listeners, like we're all listening to this on devices. Like sure. somebody had to go dig up the parts to this and their life probably isn't as, as wonderful and great as mine. And so to retain my privilege to do what I do, um, I have to make a trade-off that might affect a lot of other people. Sure. And that may be an uncomfortable truth, but that's the truth. And if you say, I don't want to do this because it makes me feel bad. It's like, guess what? That feeling is telling you that you are out of integrity with you. A hundred percent. I always say like, if you're not in alignment, right, yeah. you can only get away with that shit for so yeah. long. Right. Inevitably, you will suffer. And I think right. we're already suffering as individuals and as a country because right. of our um, lack of willingness, our unwillingness to actually take, right. um, uh, uh, like you said, to, to, to just, I'm like, look, just get in the room. Mm -hmm. And it's also up to white people to have conversations amongst themselves. Absolutely. Say, like, right? Absolutely. Like, it's so, so you said earlier, okay, uh, if you want to know more about race, like, just go Google it, right? Mm -hmm. Have you personally written any um, powerful pieces or anything where I can direct people to? Or do you have any particular resources that you're really on fire about mm -hmm. or you love or you want, mm -hmm. want to do a shout out about? 
I mean, I think right now there are so many good books about race mm-hmm. and racism that are out there. Um, I, there's a historian that I really like, Ibrahim Kendi, and he's coming out with a new book called How to Be Anti-Racist. Um, and he does amazing work that really looks at the history of race and racism and also looks in a, in a really interesting way at the dynamic of it. Yeah. Um, uh, White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo, I yeah. highly recommend. <laughs> um, that's a great book. Yes. And, um, uh, and my blog, Semantics. Um, so I'm sure that'll be on your website. But if you Google books about racism, there are so many of them. There have literally been dozens and dozens that have come out in the last couple of years by yeah. all sorts of amazing writers. And so uh, I can give you a list if you want so that people can find it on your website. But really, if you just Google it, you're going to find 10, 20, 30, 40 different books. Oh, yeah. No, no, This was me. Sure. I was just trying to give you a little shout out. I'll give you oh, a yeah. read some people to you. <laughs> I think one thing that I, I write about pop culture and race. Yes. It, it seems to be a really easy way for people to begin to think about race because yes. we're all watching TV or we're, you know, watching the news and we're seeing these stories. And rather than people feeling bad, like I feel attacked that I'm a racist. <laughs> oh, look at Gucci. Gucci's a racist. And we can all kind of like talk about that without <laughs> feeling too bad. Um, and so on my blog, I write a lot about race and also other issues of identity. Um, like I just wrote about um, feminist heroes on Game of Thrones. Yeah, it was just, um, I, yeah. really I was like, yes, like I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. we are all on that uh, this week. So, um, so go read my blog and you'll get a, a lens into that and also hear and talk about uh, other places where people are thinking about race. Yeah. So let's take it off the person level for a second and tell me okay. a little bit about the professional work that you're doing and how you're helping businesses to start to show up a little bit better in the world like what are some of the things like like some of the I know you you're a consultant and you go in and you've helped people so what are like the projects or the, the things that you're really excited about uh, a couple of things that I'm excited about. One is going in with uh, people to do some uh, training, like some in-person training. Yeah. One thing that I really like to do is give people kind of like an organizational gut check. I think for a lot of organizations- I love that. I yeah. love that. An organizational gut yeah. check. Yeah. For a lot of organizations- we can kind of see that the winds in the country are changing, that thinking about inclusion is more important. Um, Not just diversity, having different people that might be, you know, uh, clients or different people that are working at an organization, but inclusion, making sure that people have a seat at the table, that they have voice, that we see diversity in the decision-making trees of organizations. Mm -hmm. And so they want to think about, well, how do I begin to even do this work? Um, So I'll go in and do like an organizational gut check where we'll think a little bit about what's happening now and kind of talk about what this moment is. Um, For some people, they feel like, oh, I'm worried. I don't really know about that, or I'm not really sure the right words to say, or I'm worried I'm going to say something wrong. And I say to people, things are changing really rapidly. So unless you've been in um, a program that has been studying (laughs) race in the last year, you probably need to get updated on what's happening in science, what's happening in culture, what's happening in higher ed and in areas of study, what's happening in our politics, and also most importantly, what's happening in our demographics, 
that are yeah. creating this cultural shift that we're experiencing. Yeah, because we're going to be a minority, po- I mean, pretty soon. Aren't we going to yeah. hit that tipping point? We're going to be a majority-minority population yeah. by 2040 at the latest. We used to say 2050, then we said 2040, and that timeline is drifting back. And if we look at people that are under 18 in this country, yeah. under 18 is already majority-minority. So Dude. if you look at people that are under 18, they are already a majority minority population. Um, so younger generations already have hit that benchmark. Um, yeah, so we're already there in exactly. a lot of Exactly. And that's why we see millennials really having different voice around issues of diversity and inclusion than older generations because they really are a different generation in a lot of ways. Yeah, and thank God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. You know, it's exciting. Awesome, yeah. Everybody complains about millennials, but they are already kind of tooled to live in a different world, and we're not just, we're just not there yet. So uh, I think that we complain a lot about millennials, you know, adapting to the way the world used to be, and I think what we need to do is just understand the world is going to adapt to the way that millennials are. Well, as a professor, you've had a lot of exposure to these uh, smart millennials. They're fabulous, yeah. Yeah, so you're you're a little more hip than the average bear, Susan. Yeah, I mean, I think people complain a lot because they have all these ideas about who millennials are, or that they're whiny or that they're entitled. But millennials are dealing with a very difficult world. Yes, and, yes. And always have been. They're awake to this world. So all this that we just talked about, about people needing to wake up, for a lot of millennials, they're already there in that place. And so um, they're already doing some of the heavy lifting yes. that a lot of adults are kind of hesitant to do. Um, and they have a lot of challenges ahead of them. They're the ones that are going to inherit um, this kind of storm that's coming. So... Um, I think that we need to do the most we can to be good mentors yes. to millennials and really allow them to teach us new ways of thinking and doing things that we may not be used to. Yeah, and I think it can be really hard. Like I talk to my mentoring clients, my spiritual mentoring clients about this a lot. Um, you know, if we show up with an attitude, and, and I think the attitude comes from um, just our age sometimes, like we think, well, we're older than them. Mm-hmm. So anytime we're starting a sentence or a response with, I know, I know, I know. And I'm like, as soon as you say, I know, you become, I always say, you're unlearnable. That's what I always mm-hmm. say. You are unlearnable. You're unteachable. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, the, 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 the same thing that keeps coming through again and again and again and again and again with what we're talking about is we've made you make a decision about who and what you think somebody is mm-hmm. and what their experience is mm-hmm. right and it's like well so we've now labeled the millennials fill in the blank lazy uh snowflake like fit like whatever right, the thing right. is and it's like well when's the last time you actually just sat down and had a conversation but <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so like what if you or had a conversation with a lot of them because exactly. they're different too you know um but that's the thing and i think it goes for race and it goes for age we use these social constructs to help us navigate the world because it makes it really easy. Otherwise, we have to meet each individual on their own individual kind of steam, and that is extremely difficult. Um, So I always tell this story, like I was driving down the highway one day, it was winter, it was snowing, and I see this guy running down the side of the road, and he's naked, and he's got a trash bag on and he's stuck his head through the trash bag, and he's running, he's got no shoes on, and he's running down the side of the highway. Now, clearly something's going on with this dude, because he's naked and it's snowing. Did I stop to pick him up? 
You know, whenever I ask people like, no, you didn't stop to pick him up because there's something going on with this dude. He might be dangerous. All right. So we use information about groups of people to make decisions all the time. People who are dressed inappropriately for weather, like a naked person in a snowstorm. Sure. Um, it, all right, there might be something kind of off with that person. Yes. So we use information about groups of people to make decisions. I'm only going to worry about my tribe and people that are like me, and that's going to make it really easy. So old people, I'm going to grumble about millennials because I, I don't really understand them. So mm -hmm. I'm just going to kind of section all those people off. And that means that we live in this very truncated, small world where we are not dealing with people as they are, as they show up in the world. Instead, we're just using these snap decisions to kind of navigate around them rather than to move through them as they are as real human beings. Yeah, so and that takes more energy. A hundred percent. And A Course in Miracles talks about this so, so beautifully. And it goes back to what you were saying, which is, you know, we give everything the meaning that it has. Mm -hmm. And so anytime it's like, it's like for perfect example, I'll say to somebody, somebody will come into the room and I'll say, this is how bad I'll say. So look at that chair and they'll say, yeah. And I say, is that a comfortable chair? And they'll say, I think it is. And I'll say, well, why do you think that? Have you ever sat in that chair? Like mm -hmm. you have no experience of this chair. Well, no, but it's got a cushion. And like, oh, and so everything mm -hmm. that we're experiencing is actually coming from our past. Mm -hmm. So we're almost never, ever, ever meeting each other in the present moment. Right. We're right. showing up already with meaning we have given history. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of that is our fears too. Mm -hmm. It's not mm -hmm. like we're just showing up. So we're not clean slating people. We are not yeah. allowing, and we do it all the time in our relationships, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our coworker experiences, whatever. We've already made a decision about you mm -hmm. before we've actually had an interaction that day. Mm -hmm. And so showing up though, in meeting people as they are, who they are in that present moment requires some spiritual muscle. Mm -hmm. You've got to have a little mojo and we get it by doing spiritual practices. Like there's a reason why, like if you can slow down your mind, mm -hmm. if you can get quiet, do some meditation or whatever your thing is, when you're able to like, and it's like, okay, right. now I'm in right. this moment with this person. Right. And who are they without all of my preconceived thoughts and notions and ideas? Mm -hmm. And it, it's so fascinating because it's like, even just in my own life, when I, when I think back and I go like, when I look about like when people, like when you talk about that fear of like, mm -hmm. okay, you're walking down the subway, you see maybe somebody who looks different or is of color or whatever, and you decide to like go over here. And, you know, people have, and I've grown up, I've, I've, I know racist, I know like hardcore, like, you know, I'm talking like blatantly, like, for, uh, I'm not saying I hang out with them, I'm friends with them, but I know mm -hmm. of them. <laughs> We've got yeah. one in the White House. We definitely yeah. know yeah, them. Yeah, we all know them. Yeah. They live everywhere. They're right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and they'll say things and I'll always say like, what, what do you mean when you say like those people? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, like, I try to catch as much as I can or whatever. And I'm hyper aware. I always say I have mm -hmm. to be vigilant first and foremost for the quality of my own thoughts, words, and actions before mm -hmm. I start like calling other people out. But when I look back at my own life, you know, the guy that murdered my mother, he was like um, a successful white dude. Mm -hmm. a, a lot of the people who have done harm to me have been white men. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. like I'm not walking around with these experiences of like whatever. Right. So but I, that's really important because, because, you know, here's the thing. 
most people who are harmed are harmed by people who with whom they have an intimate relationship whether we're thinking about you know just having your heart broken or the level of domestic violence or even the level of relational violence that exists in our country mm -hmm. at all levels most violence that people experience is perpetrated by someone that they know and someone that they know intimately um, outside of that ring violence is generally perpetrated between people of the same background or the same race or, you know, so the likelihood that you are going to be hurt by someone you know is far greater than the likelihood that you're going to be hurt by somebody that's outside that circle. Amen, hallelujah. But, yes. but to live your life in constant fear of all of the people with whom you have intimate relations is just untenable. People just can't exist that way. So we train ourselves to be afraid of people who are outside of our circle exactly. to allow us to feel like we can be comfortable. There is that comfort again. So the comfort that you embrace that you think is keeping you safe is the comfort that keeps you from being able to see things as they are and therefore actually be safe. I think an important thing about fighting racism for white people is that racism hurts people of color. People of color are uh, definitely the, the primary victims of racism mm -hmm. and racism also harms white people. White people are harmed by systems of oppression. Those systems of oppression not only hurt people of color, but they hurt the ability of white and black people to fight together for say, class equity. Um, and so white people are harmed by racism. They are kept from their full humanity by their being systems of oppression that are in place. And understanding that gives white people something to think about for racism that is really centered on whiteness. Um, and so by that, I mean, you don't want to just get rid of racism because it's good for me. You want to get rid of racism because it's good for a just society. That's good for everybody. It's not just for me. It's for you. It's for everybody. It's so, yes. When we, when you said this, when we talked the other day, you said, I was like, oh my God, I hope I'm smart enough to remember to, to ask the question or whatever. And I just love spiritual team on the job. I just love that it circled back yeah. because here's the thing though. Here's what I find so interesting is that, um, trying to think of the right way to say it, um, that I'm clear in my meaning that I have friends who have skill sets, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and we can just talk, I'll just say from like uh, business and branding and marketing or whatever, right? So I have friends who are like, uh, when you're thinking about strategy, um, they're like, oh, well, you're trying to do this. Why don't you just do this, 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 and this? And I'm like, dude, it never would have even occurred to me <laughs> to like do that. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you just have, and I'm talking about like certain people have certain, whether it's skill sets or, um, they came through with divine gifts or whatever it is. It's just like, sometimes my brain goes, I wouldn't ever have thought that that was an option. Like, I love that. Mm -hmm. When I listen to you talk, I can just imagine that there must be so many people, like, especially white people who go, oh my God, I never even, it never would have even occurred to me to think that racism mm -hmm. also oppresses me. <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think that we're we're not encouraged to think about racism
in that way. We're encouraged to think about race as a personal minefield instead of as a system of oppression. I mean, I was at inauguration day for, uh, for Donald Trump, for his inauguration, mm -hmm. and I was struck by, um, while we were waiting for the parade to come down Pennsylvania Avenue, um, there were two sides of the road. One was all uh, anti-Trump protesters, and the other was Trump supporters, and uh, we crossed the street at the wrong time, and we were stuck on the side with all the Trump supporters. <laughs> and the hottest spot on that side of the road was food trucks. And they were all, it was uh, Thai food, uh, Mexican food. Uh, like, oh. I was like, I was like, oh my God, like, you, like, there's such a disconnect between people literally standing in stands shouting, build the wall, and standing in line at a taco truck. Consumption yeah. of, like, but this is what I'm talking about. I think that there is a level of off the cuff, like, whether it's blindness, uh, st <laughs> stupidity, is that mean to say, but ignorance, like, just, like, people are so not self-aware. They, mm -hmm. They're not even self-aware of themselves. Like they're mm -hmm. not even looking, they're not mm -hmm. even looking out. And I, and I say it to people all the time. I see it a lot on social media. I see it a lot with parents actually. And all of a sudden it's like, you're not gonna, like something will happen at school, right? And the teacher does something or the school system does something. It's like, uh-uh, not my kid. You're not gonna do that to my kid. And mm -hmm. people get their panties in a bunch when it affects them personally. Yeah but they're not really looking outside the bubble. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's like, and, and this is my whole thing, like, you know, uh, and of course in miracles, I'm like everybody, animals, like rocks, the environment, all my brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. And if we're all one, like all the great religious and spiritual traditions tell us that we are all one, that there's no way that something that's happening to you cannot be happening and affecting me. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. it might not obviously be to the same extent or, or depth mm -hmm. or whatever, but if there is that connective thread that runs through all of us, what's happening over here, it, it makes mm -hmm. its way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You can't look at our country right now and not recognize that race is having a serious impact on what's happening in this country, not only in terms of the oppression of people of color, mm -hmm. which is major. And as you, as, as you said, like that affects your countrymen, that affects the people in your country. You should care about that. Mm -hmm. um, and it is also negatively affecting white people. Um, so it's affecting everybody. It's happening. It's been happening for hundreds of years. At what point are we going to say, we have to think about the way the power is structured? Because if we don't create more equitable power sharing in our country, we are going to literally kind of rip ourselves apart. So race does affect everybody because it is the hierarchy that this country was created on. Yes. Um, and just like any foundation, you can move the house if you want but you've got to pick it up off the foundation first. And, and we're not there yet as a country. Um, I think it's important for people to understand that uh, race has a material effect on the ability of people to um, live in a neighborhood, get an education, yeah. get a job, and to stay safe. At all of those levels, people of color are negatively harmed by systems of race. Um, mm -hmm. Also in this country, we have a serious issue with terrorism and white nationalism. Mm 
So both in terms of the oppression of people of color and the refusal to acknowledge the ways in which white nationalism is doing harm, we're, we have our candle burning at both ends in this country. So whichever end you care about, you can get in the game and be a part of this. But how can you like, <laughs> this might be a moot question. I just don't know how you can be alive on the planet right now and not see the white nationalism. Like, how can you be in denial that this shit is going on? Like, I find it um, horrifying and fascinating that I'm like, um, hello, um, mm -hmm. hello. Mm -hmm. People choose to believe an ahistorical narrative of what is happening. And so I think that's the thing is like, you know, we're still in this place like, oh, these people didn't know about racism. They're so ignorant is like, no, no, no. Maybe, maybe a hundred years ago or 200 years ago or 300 years ago. Like we have the internet now. Stop. You know about racism. <laughs> you do. And if you refuse to believe it exists, that is the kind of behavior that makes somebody a racist. You are exactly. reproducing that system because you're refusing to believe it exists. It exists. There is an enormous amount of documented evidence. People do live in different narrative bubbles. So I will say that you can, you know, depending on what news channel you oh, listen yeah. to or Hello. where you get your information, you can be consuming a diet of information that chooses to reproduce this ahistoric narrative. That's on you because you can, you know, click onto a different website, you can look around, but you have to be willing to understand that you have to evaluate information as it comes in. You can't just like drink the Kool-Aid from either side. You have to really think and evaluate information. If you're choosing not to evaluate information, that's how you get to But that's racist. that's a hundred percent well the key words there key words there were um uh willingness mm -hmm. <laughs> which I'm always talking about and mm -hmm. choosing which I'm yeah. always talking about. At this right. point, if you're not seeing it, it's because you are consciously choosing right. not to see it because some part of you, maybe secretly or not so secretly, doesn't really want right. shit to change yeah. because there is some sort of fear. I remember watching an interview with um I don't know who I'm trying to think. Oh, Charles Barkley went and mm. talked to uh, this white supremacist guy. Mm. And I remember, oh, the, I remember that. Remember that? Yeah. And I was sitting there like, what the fuck is happening right now? Like, I am like, it's that level of like, I'm just like, you, that dude just, he is a danger mm. to mm -hmm. himself and to the world. Like, that is like somebody that I am like, you can just lock him up. Like, that mm. is, it is frightening to me because you just sit there and I'm, I, I just think that is the most ignorant mm. and hateful. Like, I don't even, like, I sometimes, not much surprises me, not much surprises me anymore <laughs> in yeah, the world, yeah. but every once in a while I'll see something like that. <laughs> and I find myself with like, like my mouth hanging open, mm. like, and just going like, what? but mm -hmm. I don't think that I don't like to say that. I don't like to say that I don't think that that's a person who can be changed because I've also seen miraculous stories mm -hmm. of people who have befriended people who were like KKK members mm -hmm. who have had a change of heart. So I know what's possible when people are willing, but I can't imagine wanting to walk around seeing brothers and sisters as so 
like I, I don't know. I just think like, mm. like what? Well, it makes me think of the, there's a line in the movie uh, Mississippi Burning mm -hmm. where uh, a racist father says to a little boy, well, if you're not better than an N-word, what are you better than? And I think it comes down to like people use hierarchies not only to decide how to treat others, but also to create a sense of self of who you are better than. That is so um, powerful. Yeah. Yes. And, and, that, and, yes. and I think that we shouldn't be so naive to think that that doesn't work for people. That works for a lot of people and they live their whole life like that and it's awesome. And they choose not to do the work of creating change because it's working for them. I think there is this belief that there are that anybody that's acting in a way that we might think of as racist either is this horrible KKK member right. or they're ignorant. But to not choose in 2019 is, is, isn't to be ignorant. It, it's, it's a choice. It you is know? a choice. 100%. And that we can look at the people that you know, are marching around in robes and say, those are the bad people. But again, it's every single one of us has a place in this hierarchy. Yes. And if we're not actively working against racism, we are doing the work of racism. You know? And that's what I like about Ibrahim Kendi's work is this idea that it's not just about bad racists yes. and people that aren't racist. There is this group in the middle who by their silence oh. or they're not wanting to do it, they perpetuate the work of racism because they allow the system to remain unchallenged. So, you know, and I think people get uncomfortable like, oh, I, well, I just don't know. Well, it's 2019. Get if if you can hear me now, you now know, and you can no longer use that excuse. Hear, so, yeah. This is part of why I want you on the show. It's like, yeah. if you can hear the sound of my voice. Right. You are now either yes. working to stop the perpetuation of racism or you're not, you know? Exactly. And, and as I Powerful. say to people all, this, all the time, people are wary like, well, there's this side and that side. There are two sides, people who are, believe in justice for every human being and people that don't. And that's it. And you can at any point in time choose Change to size. be a part of the group. Yeah? That's right. And th that there are people that really are on the other side. There are well, people that would like to have more power than other people. And that's real. Yes. I think, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. said, I know I'm going to flub it out, but when he talks about um, your silence is basically a choice, like you are yeah. choosing the side of yeah. the oppressors. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have made themselves a nice little safe little area where they stand like Switzerland, where they stand and they say, well, I'm not really going to say either, or, like, I'm not going to, I'm just going to like, but, and I'm like, no, to not mm -hmm. to choose is to choose. Yeah, it's not, but it's like Switzerland. You're not taking sides yet. Your banks are taking all of the loot from all of these, you know, horrible things that are happening. <laughs> so if you're like Switzerland, you are the repository of all this stuff that is happening. You are a part of the system. Um, and we don't live outside of systems unless, like I said, you're off in the woods and then you can't hear me because you can't listen to a podcast. That's right. Well, but you know, you, what you, one of the things that you do so beautifully is you are you are a light worker in your own way. You shine you shine a bright light, uh, a bright light in places of darkness, and you shine. So in 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 the yoga world, um, you know we talk. And I'll let the Sanskrit scholars argue over the like the exact interpretation of what guru means. But what the word guru means is the one who brings light to the darkness, mm -hmm. one who brings wisdom to ignorance. And you really do do that. I mean, oh, I you. hope you, I, I, you don't look at, you don't need me to tell you these things. You know, your own awesomeness. Mm -hmm. However, as my friend, 
I will just say, I am so proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world. I love that you're alive at this time and that I get both to of bear, us. Yeah. Yeah. That I get to bear witness to um, your gifts uh, being just like brought to the table. I just mm-hmm. think, you know, you, you know, I know I was thinking at the beginning, how I think of you like badass leader, uh, you know, gorgeous. First of all, other thing, this is so, I'm just going to digress for a second. Um, you could totally have a whole, uh, I don't know, you could make some money doing voice work. You have the, be- you know this, right? Oh, People you. tell you like you have the best voice. I yes. just feel like I sound like a little elf to me. But what are you talking about? You I sound like a little, hold the door, hold the door. <laughs> Okay, that's hysterical. (laughs) But no, you totally have the best voice. But you are a change maker, Susan X. Jane. Uh, I I think of myself as a translator, you know, and I think it goes back to, I've always been somebody that's been in between worlds. And so I just kind of carry the story from one side to another to hopefully help people see the world that they're in a little bit better. You, yeah, but it's like, it is one of your superpowers. I'll take that. Thank you. It is one. Yeah. Receive it, please. Mm -hmm. I will receive it. One of the other things before we go and you know, I literally, we could, (laughs) I could talk to you all day. Yeah. But I remember one. Wait, why are we stopping? Let's keep going. We don't have to stop. We'll keep going. But I, there are just certain things, quirky little things that I'm like, I'm, I want to talk about this because I thought it was fascinating uh, that I love about you. So, um, you know, you were adopted by a family. Mm -hmm given a name, then you got married, given a name. So I remember saying to you, I just remember one day on Facebook, um, you know, and you you know, you you can share your previous names if you want to, but I remember just seeing on Facebook, all of a sudden it was like, Susan X Jane. And I was like, (laughs) okay, this this is like, yeah, it was like, I'm like, this is like all of a sudden a superhero has claimed a new name or whatever. I'm like coming to a theater near you, Susan X Jane. So I was like, okay, what is this about? And when we talked about this and you answered me, I was like, you have to talk about this. I thought it was so cool. So will you right. tell my, our listeners? Well, here's the story of my name. Yes. Um, I, was a, I was adopted. So I had a name that is lost to the world that no one knows. Um, when I was an infant, my, my mother said that at the, uh, I was a little wanderer. So at the Home for Little Wanderers, they called me Kelly. Um, then my parents named me Susan Jane McDonald, and my middle name is Jane, which was my mother's first name. So the mm. tradition in the family was that the first daughter's middle name was the mother's first name. Okay. Then I got married, so I was Susan Jane McDonald Owusu. That was pretty long. Yes. And then when I um, when I got divorced on the paperwork, there is a line, and it says checkbox to return to maiden name. And then there was a line, I forgot what it said, but like checkbox for new name. And I was like, new name? I can just <laughs> like come up with whatever. I'm picking a new name. So I decided I was going to pick a new name for myself. Um, and I decided I wanted to take a woman's name because I had had my father's name and my husband's name. So I said, I think this is a good time to have a woman's name. Um, and I took an X um, as an uh, African-American, um, we have a lot of lost names, and I think mm. the X represents that. Um, and then I also personally have some names that um, are also lost as well. So that's how I came to pick my new name. I highly recommend it. It's <laughs> extremely inexpensive. And for under $200, you can just make up a new name, whatever you want. So, so let me ask you this. When you chose the new name and you took on the new name, do you yeah. feel like anything internally or externally shifted? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm a word girl. So I think that, um, you know, I believe very much in the power of the word to make manifest things in the material world. I believe in that very, very, very strongly. And so I feel like that was a part of wanting a new name was to want to manifest a different element of myself. And so, uh, and for sure, it definitely felt different. Um, And it was something new. It was something that was uniquely mine. Um, My mother loves it. My mother mm. did this little like end zone dance she every did. time she hears it. She's so, and she says to my father, she's like, I got one. <laughs> so, um, so she really loves it. And it just, uh, it feels like me, which is really exciting. And so I think that um, for a lot of women, you know, that you go through that period of time of changing your name. And I don't know if anybody had ever told me before that you could just name yourself whatever you felt like. And so yeah. I did. Yeah, you should too. If you're listening, change your name. (laughs) I think it's fascinating because when I, I I think it's so funny because when I got married, I didn't get married till uh, later in life, like 40s, whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I remember um, being like, I said to my sweetie one day, um, I love you. First of all, with my accent being Karen Lester, who lived on Hattie Road, like Lester. (laughs) I'm Karen Lester, you know, Mm -hmm. but I was just like, uh, I've been Karen Kenny like my whole life. Yeah. Like that's my name. And and most people who know me really well don't even call me Karen. They call me K or K mm-hmm. or K2 or special K or some variation of that. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't even like whatever, but I was like, you're cool with me not taking my name. And especially as a writer and as an artist, I was like, I, that's my, like, whatever that's my signature i mean but you know the google is real like i won't even lie i googled the name before i picked it oh you did (laughs) yeah because i thought you know first of all susan jane is a really 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 common name but susan x jane isn't um so i was really lucky in that the name i picked was good but it is hard (laughs) because because as a woman like i also i got married you know in my 30s yeah i lost everything i had done before that had been on google gone then when I got divorced again, same thing, everything that I was before gone. And so for a woman, what's in a name isn't just about, you know, like that kind of patriarchal, do you take the man's name? But it's, it's also can have a major impact on your profession. That is a real challenge. Right. And, and then people just can't find you, you know? So it, it is kind of a big deal in this era where your name is kind of the thing that people use to search you. So it is. Yeah. Actually I, yeah. And, and I think not having any changes has been wicked helpful for me. And I just, I've watched women who came before me who were, um, you know, going through the rigmarole of changing their name back and bank accounts and social security. Like, and I just was like, I'm not doing any of that. Yeah. Like, this is me, whatever. And yeah, you know, it's interesting. because I had never thought of the, the Google search. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there are other Karen, a lot of other Karen Kennys, mm-hmm. but I will usually come up like pretty high at the top because I have a lot of content out there. Right, you know what right. I mean? Yeah. But you like that name is like the balls. I was just yeah. like, man, oh, that was like you. bold. And I thought it, I I thought it. it was really, really cool. I, I did decide to change my name. And then I was like, well, what am I going to call myself? You know, like um, Ron Artest changed his name to, to Meta World Peace. I was like, all right, that's not a good that's idea. True. Oh, <laughs> old Dirty Bastard changed his name to Big Baby Jesus. Um, that was a runner up, but yeah, I thought yeah. maybe not that either. And then I realized, you know, my mother had always called me Susan Jane. 
and and the, I felt like I really needed to hold on to all of those generations of names that had belonged to me at one point that had been lost. And and as soon as I heard the name, like in my spirit, I was like, "That's my name. That feels like my name." So, I think it's yeah. fantastic, and yeah. I love it. Really good. It. Yeah, yeah and, it I, and I highly encourage people. Like that. That's the thing, though, right? I think when if you move through the world. Um, feeling most like yourself, mm. like that's so much of where your power comes from. And you, when I think back as a woman to all the names I have been called over the years, mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. from sweetie to yeah. cunt, yeah. right? From yeah. Yeah. to bitch to yeah. this to that. Yeah. I'm like, I have, been bitch. Called, <laughs> I have been, I haven't been called bitch a lot. I've been called a lot of things oh, a lot, yeah. but I, have you been called a bitch a lot? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So I'm not saying that as a judgment. In both, just, in both good and bad ways. Sure. In both loving and non-loving ways. Sure. But even with names, it's like, first of all, we give the meaning that everything has. But when I think mm-hmm. back to all the things that I've been called, I think how you call yourself, what you mm-hmm. call yourself, how you identify is so important. And so um, th- this thing that you've done in claiming mm-hmm. a name for yourself mm-hmm. Like that's really like, I just want to like, let that land for a, a moment mm-hmm. because I think a woman saying, this is how I choose to identify. Mm-hmm. This is who I am in my own eyes and in my own mind. Like that is really powerful. Yeah. And, and, I, th- and that's been a lot of my life. I think it connects with the issues of race as well as that. Uh, my life has been about walking this line where I'm both defined by other people outside of me and I am pushing back and defining myself. And I feel like as I get older, that kind of push-pull is starting to meet kind of in the middle, uh, uh, like a stasis. There's there's definitely always going to be that push and pull, but I feel more comfortable occupying the space between those pressures yes. rather than feeling like I'm always, you know, wandering from one side to another. I I find I've reached a place where I am most comfortable on a line in between spaces and that that's my space to occupy. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. And I think that that's all, I mean, it's so, it's like, I really believe, you know, I often say it, it happens, it happens for us. And I think that mm-hmm. like your whole childhood, like everything has been leading up to these moments. Oh, of course. Yeah. You know, I feel and- like this is, this is what this life is for me. You know, um, mm-hmm. I feel really lucky and blessed that it is so clear to me what this is. Um, and so, you know, I think that we live a million lives and we have a job to do in each one of them, a lesson to kind of pick up as we breadcrumb our way across the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel really lucky that it's so clear for me in this life. Um, but this is, this is what I am meant to do to kind of walk in these in-between spaces and to report back to people what I'm finding, what I'm seeing, um, the stories that I collect as I go, and my own story about kind of walking those lines. That's why my uh, consulting firm is called uh, Navigators, because I feel like that's what I do is I'm kind of walking these lines uh, that are in between and that that's what I'm really interested in is not what are these spaces that we like to think exist separately in the world, but how is it that we actually move fluid from, through mm-hmm. these spaces that we've created? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's powerful. And so you're doing this, um, you know, professional work in a really powerful way. You are sought after because you're awesome, Thank but you. tell me something about, um, I mean, I also know you as a writer. I know you as um, a speaker, but if you like, 
like for me, so like I'm working on this memoir, like, so this podcast, this, you know, video cast, this show that I'm doing, um, I'm so jazzed. Like I had a TV show for like 13 years, local yeah, access, I remember. Yeah. yeah, but this was like, okay, I, I, I this is a passion project. I want to do this. I want to be helpful. Mm -hmm. I want to use this platform to bring, first of all, people that I love who I think are really mm -hmm. smart, who are changing the world and doing stuff to give them a voice too. Um, I think this is how we all get home as we go together or not at all. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. but also like, I want to get this memoir done. Like this is a really, you know, big thing that I'm trying to do. So do you have any personal passion projects or things that you're working on right now or envisioning or anything? Is anything like kind of brewing? Yeah, I always have something. All right, brewing. I mean, on, if you could see to this side, I have a whole chart of projects <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, and I love the podcast. I've been thinking about a podcast. It I is, do. I'm, I know. I'm waiting for labor. You. It's a yeah. labor, but I'm on it. Um, so I, I have some ideas about that and I've been cooking on that. Um, also working on memoir. I think it's important to kind of share what this experience is. I've been in a few strange places that I think would be good to share. Um, but I love to write and I love to speak. And so, um, I write at my blog semantics and also anywhere else that I can find out there on the web. Um, you can Google me, Susan X Jane, it's just me. So that makes me easy to find. Yeah. Um, but I also am working on some longer writing projects. I think a lot about the world. I love uh, both literature and memoirs. So I have projects in both of those spheres um, that I'm working on. Um, like nonfiction, so, like nonfiction, like when, so uh, the longer projects you have memoir and then the other thing, is it still nonfiction? Or are you talking like uh, one of each, one of each. Uh, one is I really would like to create a layperson's guide to race and representation <coughs> because, okay because, um, yeah. please could you please yeah yeah, yeah. because I, I feel like people, people just get get mad like that's racist that's racist and it's like you know well how can we actually tell it's not actually based on your personal opinions there is a way of kind of thinking about this <laughs> Um, and so I'd like to do that. It's kind of an extension of my blog semantics. So like when the Gucci sweater comes out, like you don't just get mad. You can say, oh, actually, this is a way that I might think about this to kind of figure out whether it's racist or not. Surprise, it was but, Gucci. Spoiler alert. But I love, but this is what I'm saying. Like you, the, the, you have um, such a unique perspective like you're though it's it's like um i don't know it's like the divine just said like we're gonna give give susan the power of vision to see and we're gonna have like you're gonna have these personal experiences like you said when you call it this is what i talk about this is what i do like it, different but like similar same different same different but what i do in my work is like whoever went ahead first report back yeah <laughs> so yeah. when you report back but like you're doing it in such a multi-dimensional way mm -hmm. i don't know i'm just like i just i just love it and you're, you 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 make it really um like there's some tough love in there which i appreciate mm -hmm. like you know sometimes you get <laughs> you just gotta take yeah. your fucking medicine you know yeah. um but i think that you make these concepts these ideas these truths you're a truth teller which like that's that that to me is like the, the sexiest thing you could be right? <laughs> like drop some truth but i think that you're making these concepts so that project i like i can just tell a spiritual team just went yes like when you're <laughs> a layman's guide to because i don't think people mm. again for whatever reason fill in the blank yeah. understand 
or even know how to look at how our world is set up as a racist system. Like, I just don't think they get it. Right. It's, but it's challenging because the way it's set up is hidden from you, you know? Yes. Um, And it's also like, when we think about media, a lot of us don't really understand how media gets to us. You know, you think about a commercial, you know, someone in an advertising thing might have spent, you know, uh, hours and hours looking at research or they put together a slide deck of all of the things that you might think and feel and want. And then out of that comes this piece of creative work and then it's an ad and then you don't understand why you want pizza at three in the morning, you know? (laughs) So it's like, we don't always understand the way that the life that we consume gets to us. I think that's part of the challenge for us as Americans. We are consumers, but we don't always understand the system of consumption. And whether it's animals or media, those are both the same things that we are consuming products that are brought to us, disconnected from the actual processes that bring them into our world. Amen. And when we begin to think about what is the kind of ethics of that process, then we uh, hopefully begin to move our consumption to be more ethical as well. Yeah, but that means we actually have to slow down enough to question everything. Yeah. Yeah. And people would say to me like, so, you know, on your spiritual path, like how have you like whatever gotten to this place? And Mm -hmm. I say, because um, I am vigilant for the quality of my thoughts and I question Mm, everything. And mm, I've been questioning things for a long time. I've been questioning things for a long time. And, and I want to understand, I've always said like Tim O'Brien, the great writer, Tim O'Brien says, you know, yeah. Writers tend to be the kind of people that like to enter the mystery of things. Mm. And when I was a little kid, like I came out of the womb going, why mom? Why, 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 why? And I know a lot of kids do that, but like, I never stopped. Right. I'm always like, why would they do that? Why does man do what they do? Right. And I'm fascinated by it. And I was an advertising major, right? Right. So right. I, cause I'm like, Oh, I understand. Cause there's so much psychology that's happening. Mm-hmm. There's so like it all play, you know, it all plays a role. Class structure. What do we want them to think about themselves so they'll buy our shit? Right, right. And that that's not happening just in marketing. That's happening in politics. It's happening yes. at all of these levels where people are thinking about how can we create a system that will work and that will keep things stable, keep things reproduced. How they are. Yeah. We can see now as people are wanting new ideas or new ways of thinking, look at how disruptive it has been to our culture. And so for kind of the powers that be that want to conserve the way that things have been to be conservative means to kind of keep things the way that they're being. Status quo. Yeah. And, and to challenge that is extremely disruptive and it creates all of this kind of chaos that where things have to then filter out kind of like shaking up a snow globe. Then we have to wait for things to kind of settle to figure out, you know, what's what. Yeah. Yeah, And I think that there's a lot of fear of things shifting, you know, when I look back, Spiritually, always shifting. You don't control any of this. And I think that we get comfortable and that's where that comfort is. Like, I'm comfortable that this is my world and I control it. And it's like, we don't, we don't control very much of this at all. You know, if the trucks mm-hmm. stop bringing food, we're going to be in trouble pretty quickly, you know? So, but uh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish. Uh, no, but I think that there's a lot of subtle ways that stuff is happening, but I also mm-hmm. think that the powers that be, I mean, just look, look at some of the great um, political and spiritual change makers of our time. Mm-hmm. When you look at, you know, you look at um, Gandhi, you look at Martin Luther King Jr., you look at the Kennedy brothers, you look at this one, this one, this one, right? What happens to the people who start to use their voice on a big, in a big way and they say, shit has got to change, right? What happens to all of them? 
they kill them. Yeah. So I think a message has been sent to us in some very, like, again, gross and subtle ways and really like, a, like big ways of like, this is what happens if you start to get a little too big for your britches. This is what happens if you start to get a little bit too loud. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that- there, um, been, there have been five organizers of the Ferguson protests that have died in the last couple of years. Do you see so, what I'm saying? I mean, it's not, that's not just history. Even now, it's still extremely dangerous to speak out. Look at Jamal Khashoggi. It's very dangerous to speak out. So. But one of the things is, though, it's like, you know, it's like that incident, which, you know, and I told you about on the elevator. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought to myself, though, first of all, I called on the strength. I called on the strength of my mother and I called on the strength of God that moment. Mm -hmm. But I just knew, like, I'm like, I, I'm, uh, how do I say this? I'm more afraid of not being the person that I know myself to be. I'm more afraid about not speaking up and not being who I am and all that I can be than I am about like, what might they do to me if I say something? Mm. And I think at some point, and that's a personal choice, right? Because we have to, everybody gets to decide for themselves what risks that they're willing to take. Mm. But I just know, like, if I see you um, hitting a child, now I'm not saying like, you know, your kid ran in the street and you grabbed him. You were like, oh my God. I'm saying like, if I see you abusing a child, abusing an animal, abusing a woman, abusing anybody, hitting somebody, being racist, like da, 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 da. There's a pretty long list that I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to tolerate, right? Um, and I, I understand, again, it's a personal decision. You have to say like, I but I'm the kind of person where I'm like, here's an example. So my dad, my dad. So when I decided to move to California, um, one of the things why I didn't want to leave is I was like, my mother was here, meaning her body was here. Her body was buried mm -hmm. here. And I like, I didn't want to abandon my mom, right? And so I was like, I need to start to do some research. And this was the beginning of me starting to write, write for my book. And, um, and so I reached out to the police department. Uh, I reached out to the guy who was the um, uh, district attorney. Um, mm -hmm. He was the assistant district attorney at the time. I, I met with him. I met with some of the detectives who were still alive, who worked mm -hmm. her case. And I had lunch with my father, my stepdad. Mm -hmm. And um, it was fascinating. I'm, so, I'm, like, I'm always like, it's in the book, so read the book. But this one <laughs> little snippet, I remember saying to my father, um, because I wanted to know, he and I had never, ever talked about what happened to my mother. So mm -hmm. here we are probably, like that happened when I was 12. So almost like probably 10 years later. And we sit down in the diner and it's a powerful, it's a powerful scene, but I, the, the short, short version of it is I just said to him, what do you think happened that night? Mm -hmm. And he said, I always told your mother that her mouth would get her into trouble one day. And I was like, like, I still like, wow. I feel that, like, I still feel that. And mm. one of the things that um, I've realized, I said this about myself just the other day, I heard myself say this in my head because I won't tolerate that kind of shit. And I remember I, I said something to somebody and I thought to myself, one of these days, your mouth is going to get you into trouble. Mm. Mm. And I just thought to myself, but I couldn't live with myself. Whew. Mm. I couldn't live with myself any other way. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, um, we have to decide for ourselves what we're going to be willing to tolerate. Mm. But yeah. that right there, that is the voice of the powers that be. It's a voice that tells you one of these days that mouth is going to get you into trouble. And think about how powerfully silencing that is that you tell. I mean, 
we tell girls, I bet if you ask girls who are, are bold and powerful, if they've heard that, I bet they've all heard that phrase. Mm -hmm. And we're trained, you know, you know, keep your mouth shut. But like you said, like, how else can you live with yourself? That that's what it is, is to say, yeah, yeah, that is what my mouth is going to do. And here it goes. Let me open it up, you know, yeah. so that you can hear what I have to say. So thank you for sharing that. That's really powerful. You're welcome, sweetheart. Thank mm -hmm. you for listening. And I just remember, like, you know, here's the thing about, um, you know, and you talked about this at the beginning about how you are identified sometimes overlap. So mm -hmm. whether you're a woman and a woman of color or whether you're gay and you're this and you're this, like all the, all the different mm -hmm. ways we can be identified. And I remember... Um, I have a friend who's a brilliant, well, I wouldn't say a friend, we're like acquaintances, right? But mm -hmm. uh, she's a fellow writer and her and her husband, um, back when Trump was getting elected, they did a website called the No Trump Vote. And they mm -hmm. invited all these writers to write essays about why they wouldn't be voting for Trump, right? Mm -hmm. And I did this whole essay about my mom in this situation. And, um, and one of the things that I said is I learned at a very young age because my mother was found... Um, half naked from the waist down so clearly mm -hmm. somebody was he was trying to rape her or do something to her and um and i understood that um you know she fought mm. she, my mother was a fighter and she fought and so mm. i always say like you know one of the things that i learned at a very young age that having uh, i'm just going to be direct here for women, mm -hmm. women of the world having a pussy is very powerful mm -hmm. but it can mm -hmm. also get you killed yeah and yeah. you can get killed by saying no mm. no mm but it can't stop us. It can't stop us from saying, no, not on my watch. No, I'm not going to tolerate that. No, mm -hmm. I'm not afraid to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, because how, if we're not, if we're not looking out mm -hmm. for each other, if we're allowing those things to be done to our brothers and sisters, mm -hmm. it's like, you don't get to escape being part of the problem. Do you know what no, I'm saying? No, no, there, there is no, there is no neutral in that. There's no neutral when we're talking about people being harmed um, and people being protected for, yes. for the work that they do harming people. Um, you don't, you don't get to be neutral in that. And if you feel like you're being neutral because you want to stay comfortable, you should know that you are, have chosen the side of the oppressor. Um, you don't get to be neutral in that. And, and just like having a pussy is very powerful, but can get you killed. Having a voice is very powerful and can also get you killed. Yes. But the more of them they are, the easier it is to, to use it. And I think that we're seeing that now too, which is really exciting. We're seeing lots of people um, use their voices and uh, use their power that they have as an individual, whatever it is that you do um, to do things really well. You know, when I, I said I went to that inauguration, my aunt made my hat. So she, <laughs> she I can't be there, but I'm going to knit you. Yes. You know? And yes. so like that, you know, we literally, we, we, we put on the spirits of our, our sisters and we go out and we fight together. A hundred percent. And I remember somebody um, once asking somebody, um, you know, will you lead this organization? Will you step it to, up to the helm? And they, they had said, basically, um, you know, I don't want to lead on some level. Like, I, I hope people get the spiritual meaning of this. I don't want to lead anything. Uh, the age of the soloist is over. Mm. This is the time for the choir. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And they said sure. they can't kill everybody in the choir. Do you know what I'm saying? And so when people come together and raise their voices together, mm -hmm. it's so powerful. And I'm so grateful that you chose to share your voice with us today. Like it has been such a powerful and impactful 
conversation and I just love you even more. Every time we hang oh, out together, you. I just love you. I know. I love it. It's so great. But I feel like, I mean, that's what we need is for people to be able to kind of have these conversations across lines and, and hopefully feel motivated to say like, I can be a part of change in whatever way that I can in my environment. You don't have to be fancy. You don't have to knit a hat and go to a march. You can just decide to show up every day and see people for the few full humans that they are yes. and to use your power to make sure people are safe. Yeah. And I think the people who feel inclined to do so, like I just did a podcast. My last episode was about, um, uh, so I was talking about Mr. Rogers and how when scary things would happen um, in the world, his mom would say, look for the helpers. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I was saying how it's, it's no longer, it's no longer enough to look for the helpers. You have to become the helpers. Yeah. So yeah. we're being called to personal, uh, personal action and to, to yeah. step forth, um, for each other. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, it has been a pleasure. And so I always say, like, I always do this when my spiritual team is like <laughs> dropping something into my head. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I, there's something here. There's something here and you, you get to say, no, I always say, you know, I'm not okay. making you hang out with me, but I feel like there's some sort of event or an evening talk. There's something where we, we get together and we invite people into having a conversation. I know what an incredible facilitator you are too. And I think together, like we could create something, um, really, I don't know. I still, I don't know. It's just a tickle. And I'm just saying, I, I, I'm I into it. Yeah, I want to further something. So we'll talk yeah. offline. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Yeah, about it. But I'm like, let, let's do it. Let's do it. Because yes. I don't think, especially yeah. here in the Northeast, I don't think enough of it is happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm absolutely into that. And, and I think that we know different people and that would be interesting for people to come together across those lines. A hundred percent. We definitely yeah. do. Yeah. All right. All right. I'm pretty jazzed about that. So, Yay. yeah. So let me just say, is there any padding words? Is there anything, uh, final inspiration or something that's welling up in your heart or your mind that you want to share with the listeners? And remember, I'm going to post all of your social media links so people mm -hmm. know how to find you. Mm -hmm. But, um, do you, so as far as online, um, do you have a, a business page or a professional page where people can go like or follow or your Instagram or anything? I do. I'm on, I'm on all social media. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Um, I have a blog, which you should follow um, so that you can keep up on my reading. And I also have a business page. Um, so my blog is semantics, S-M-N-T-K-S dot com. That's where you can read my writing. And my um, business blog is culturenavigators.com. And what is your handle on the social media so people can find? Uh, on Twitter, I am SusanJane19. And on Instagram, I am SusanXJane. Perfect. I'm so excited. All right. Is there any final, I always like to give people, you know, a final opportunity if something uh, wells up in their heart. Is there any final thing that you want to share? I think the most important thing is to tell people you can be a warrior for justice. You can make the world a better place um, wherever you are with whatever you have, whatever you skills you have, you can make that happen. Mm. Yay. Yay. You are a warrior. Yeah. <laughs> I love you. Yeah. Thank I love you, you too. Yay. Thanks this is a great conversation. Show. Thank you, sweetheart. And look how good he was. He was so quiet the second. I know. I don't, I'm going to go out there and there's going to be a hole in my couch or something. <laughs> oh, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I know you're going to fall in love with my friend, Susan X Jane, as much yeah. as I love her. Uh, I appreciate you guys listening and I hope you really listen. And you guys, if something that she said landed in your hat, 
um, please, please, please share this episode. It is so important. Go and follow her, read her stuff. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, she's going to blow up and you're going to be saying, I listened to her back when, and she's already big, but I'm telling you, she's going to like, poo. Uh, the world hasn't even begun to see. I'm telling you right now. So I'm so happy to be, um, be in your world and in this world thank with you. you at the same time. So you guys, thank, thank you. you so much for listening. I see you. I celebrate you. I appreciate you. I love you. Wherever you go, may you be a blessing. Mm. Bye. Hey, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Karen Kenny Show. <laughs> I super duper appreciate your time, friendship, and support. And look, if something that I shared from my heart today somehow landed in yours, I'd love to hear about it. So please tag me on Facebook or Instagram or IG stories or wherever the cool kids are hanging out these days and let me know what your favorite pot was or what you found most helpful. You can find me over at Karen Kenny Live. That's Karen, K-E-N-N-E-Y-L-I-V-E. And if you're digging what I'm saying and you want to hear more, I'd be wicked grateful if you could go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review because you guys, that's how you'll help me to keep spreading the love. And if you can think of someone that could benefit from hearing this episode, please share it with them. I'd also love to stay connected with you. So if the feeling is mutual, please go to karenkenny.com backslash freebie and download my free guide to building your spiritual team. Until next time, my brothers and sisters, keep living in the fearless flow. Know that I see you, I appreciate you, and I love you. And wherever you go, may you be a blessing.